Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. Thank you for joining me for this journey through Scripture. We're using the reading plan provided by the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church for Read Together 2021. These are my thoughts on these passages of Scripture. I'm just going to share them randomly like popcorn. You're welcome to slow down, to push pause, to dive in as deep as you would care to do so. Let's get started. Paul's letter to the Galatians has been divided into six chapters. So this week, we complete our journey through this letter by looking at where we've divided it into chapters 5 and 6. Paul begins what we've divided into chapter 5 by saying, For freedom Christ has set us free. He wants us not to go back into slavery, to sin, and to legalism. Sin certainly is a slavery, but in this case, even the desire to get out of sin through our own works would be slavery to legalism. We need to be fully committed to trusting in grace, the grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Because if we begin to trust in one action, into one piece of a law, one religious ritual to to do that for us, then it becomes a slippery slope. It's not long before we have completely traded grace for going back into legalism. This reminds me of the letter of James that he writes, and he talks about faith versus works. Paul talks about faith versus legalism. But legalism is really a form of works, righteousness, the idea that we can earn, that we can deserve, that we can achieve our righteousness, our salvation, our holiness by anything that we can do. It's not us. We've been saved by grace through faith. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We simply can throw ourselves on the mercy of God. And then our actions, our works become acts of gratitude, things that flow out of, things that are a result of that work of grace in our lives. So there's a big difference between earning it and responding to it. And that's the difference between legalism and faith or faith versus works and not being under a yoke to um, legalism. We have to choose who and what we're going to place our trust in. And Paul encourages us to place our trust in God, through in grace, through Jesus Christ. We are given many choices throughout Scripture. Another one of those is that where Jesus says you can't serve God and money, you also cannot serve Jesus and rely on actions. You must choose grace. And if we begin to doubt on one thing, we begin to see it all unravel. For Paul, freedom, true freedom, involves two important concepts. The first is loving our neighbor as ourself, the way we treat others, the way we're in relationship to others. And the other one is living by the Spirit. So a Christian 
loves their neighbor as they love themselves, and they live by yielding to the Holy Spirit. So in chapter 5, we see the contrast. My particular translation, the New Revised Version, New Revised Standard Version, titles one of these paragraphs as works of the flesh and the other as the fruit of the Spirit. So it's a contrast between our motivations and what is within us that is creating these actions. If our actions are motivated by our own selfish desires, then we get what Paul calls the works of the flesh. And he lays those out for us in verses 16 through 21. If, however, we are motivated by the Holy Spirit working through us, then we get what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. I want to point out to you that the word fruit here is singular. There is one fruit of the Spirit. So one fruit is not love and another joy and one peace and patience, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all descriptors of the one fruit that is being born out in our lives in the same way that we could describe an orange as being um, orange in color, slightly dimpled on the outside, juicy on the inside, with a little bit of the pith, it's round. All those things are the way to describe the fruit of the Spirit. But all of these things become actions and motivators in the life of a Christian. John Wesley called them tempers or affections, and he said that they were the essence of embodied Christianity in the same way that you could know beyond a doubt that an apple tree was an apple tree is because you saw apples growing on it. In the same way, you could know beyond any shadow of a doubt that a Christian was a Christian by the presence of these kinds of marks in their life. And then we move into chapter 6. And an interesting title for chapter 6 could be Caring and Sharing. He talks about how we care for one another and how we share life and the circumstances that life brings with one another. We're supposed to help one another stay on the right path. Um, If someone strays, then those who are spiritually mature should bring them back with restore them with a spirit of gentleness, even verse 1 says. This reminds me of the early days of the Methodist movement. Those involved in the Methodist revival movement were placed into bands, small confessional groups that were organized around age, gender, and marital status, where they lovingly corrected one another. You confess the ways you had failed to live by the Spirit, They pointed out to you ways you had failed to live by the Spirit if you hadn't recognized them. And they held one another accountable for living a faithful Christian life that glorified God. Now, as the Methodist movement grew and we began to become a a church, it became untenable to have everyone in those kinds of small groups. And they moved to a class meeting. Class meetings were a little less intensive, but they were still a form of mutual support and accountability. One of the things I think the Methodist Church has lost that um, has done the most damage to us, we've lost something important 
and it's made us less effective as Christian witnesses. And that is our willingness to hold one another lovingly accountable to following Christ. I like chapter 6, verse 4, where we are encouraged not to compare ourselves. It says, all must test our own work, and then that work, rather than our neighbor's work, becomes our source of satisfaction. All too often we fall into the trap of competing with one another, of looking at someone else and saying they're better at that, they've achieved more, they've been more blessed than I have, when really we're supposed to be contented with doing the very best that we are able and to the glory of God and receiving the blessings that come our way and not comparing ourselves with one another. In verse 8, we are reminded that we can't just be interested in ourselves. If we sow only for ourselves, for our selfish ambitions, desires, and goals, then what we reap is corruption or devastation, because that is the end of selfishness, is destruction. We will destroy relationships, we'll destroy careers, we'll destroy our ultimate happiness and satisfaction if we can think about no one but ourselves. Narcissism is an is a a disease. It is a a disorder that we believe people should get help for and we are encouraged to think about the greater good, to remember that we are connected to one another. One of the things that we have become fond as Americans of saying is I'm not my brother's keeper. We know, however, from our Old Testament reading that that comment comes in the story of Cain and Abel and the first murder. And the brother who says to God, I'm not my brother's keeper, was the murderer. We live in connection with one another, all created in the image of God, all created to be connected to God and to one another. Had a friend who is fond of saying that the cross has an arm that reaches up and two arms that reach out. We need to be deeply rooted in faith connected to God vertically, but deeply connected to one another with our horizontal arms, with our arms outstretched. This, however, can be difficult to do. Loving people is a challenge sometimes. So verse 9 encourages us not to get weary in doing good. We don't always see good results coming back to us from the good that we do. We can be kind to someone and they're not kind back. We can help someone and they don't seem to have totally changed their lives and start making better decisions. But we are promised in Scripture that if we sow good seeds, eventually those seeds sprout and they grow. They bear good fruit. Um, so we continue to sow and we don't get weary of doing good, of doing the right thing. <laughs> And then Paul closes out this letter to the Galatians. In verse 11, he says, look what large letters um, I write right here. In Paul's time, it was common for a leader to use an amanuensis or a secretary to write letters for them. Sometimes the secretary was literally taking down dictation, writing exactly what the leader said. Other times, as a disciple, a follower of that leader, they were empowered to go and write. You know, they would say, go go write the, the churches in Galatia a letter and tell them all that stuff we've been talking about, about how I want the meeting organized. 
and then that letter would come back to the leader for approval before being sent. So it's very possible that the first part, all the previous part of this letter, has actually been written at the hand of a secretary. But Paul writes this himself, and the letters look different. Um, They are larger than the rest of the letters in this particular letter to the church. Now, Paul may have had some issues with his eyes. It could have been a product of age. It could have been the natural aging process. Or it may have been what he calls his thorn in the flesh. Um, It could have been a residual condition from his blinding experience, his dramatic Damascus Road experience and encounter with Jesus, where he was blinded for several days. There may have been residual effects from that. And so in order to see, he writes very large. Might have been why he gets the secretary to write it for him. But he stops here at the end of this letter to pen some words himself to recapitulate his argument, which is, don't go back to legalism. In this case, Paul's talking specifically about circumcision as the legalistic act, but any act where we are depending on the act rather than depending on God can become legalistic. And Paul reminds us, we must choose grace. We have been saved by faith through grace. And we are encouraged to put our trust in that. And with that, Paul closes his letter and says, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. That's our journey through Galatians. I look forward to seeing what has stood out to you. Thank you.